Welcome to 10MinuteTechCom. This is Ryan Weber at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Miriam F. Williams from Texas State University, who recently co-edited a collection entitled Communicating Race, Ethnicity, and Identity in Technical Communication. She joins us today to talk about how the field of technical communication can better understand how issues of race and ethnicity influence both user experience and the experiences of technical communicators themselves. Welcome to the podcast, Miriam. We really appreciate you coming on today. And I'd love to talk with you a little bit about some of the ideas that come up in your new collection. Specifically, in the introduction, you write that technical communication has been slow to wrestle with two core elements of American identity, race and ethnicity. Why do you think we've been slow to address these issues? Well, as you know, compared to other fields and other areas of English studies, we are a relatively young subfield of English. Mm-hmm. With that said, I think it takes time to develop these areas of inquiry. I think this is as good a time as any for those of us with this interest to explore race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm happy to say that quite a few of us do have this interest, so I'm excited. What can bring us up to speed? Good question. There are quite a few tech comm scholars who are interested in the work to, we need to publish. Quite a few of us are teaching courses related to these issues. I think we're really doing a good job. I really do. But conducting uh, research, qualitative and quantitative, I mm-hmm. think is a good start. Great, great. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're optimistic. I and mean, let's talk a little bit about some of this research. It seems to me in your book that you talk about sort of two different elements of race and ethnicity as they relate to tech comm. One is the way that it shapes user experience. Can you give some examples of how that plays out? How might race or ethnicity shape user experience? All right. I have um, a monograph that I wrote a while back, uh, 2010, where I looked at some historical regulations. And mm-hmm. then this book is from Black Codes to Recodification. And I, I'm going to uh, talk about it, the historical perspective, which is very important sure. uh, as it relates to African-Americans and Latinos and other historically marginalized groups. And from a historical perspective, in that particular book, I discussed plain language laws and also laws ended up in farming manuals that were distributed by banks to customers in the mm-hmm. early 1900s. The purpose of the manuals are farmers and businessmen business women, mostly mm-hmm. men at that time, sure. of, uh, of new regulations related to farming technique. In my research, I discovered a manual. Uh, I'm in Texas. The name of the manual was Texas Laws Made Plain. Unfortunately, this manual, uh, and I was shocked, but I guess I shouldn't have been, this manual included outdated and repealed laws that had previously forced black children into a form of indentured servitude until mm-hmm. they one. Mm-hmm. So while the laws had been repealed, the business people in Texas had codified these laws in manuals. That's a, the historical perspective. And I'm there are tons of examples. Florice Richardson's chapter in the edited collection that you spoke about addresses some historical perspective. But as it relates to contemporary issues, some work that I've done recently is includes a case study related to environmental agencies, uh, okay. one in Houston. And they use quite a few strategies to communicate environmental sciences to predominantly African-Americans and Latinos in particular. These areas often have a higher percentage of landfills and other environmental hazards. Mm-hmm. You've heard of environmental racism. Right, so right. Audience, we have uh, problems in Alabama. Yeah, I, well. I can imagine. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, the audiences are distrustful. If a regulator, environmental regulator, comes into the neighborhood, they say, well, we help well, but you have two landfills in a six-mile radius. There's a history of distrust. 
So I think this particular agency in Houston, they coupled community forums with door-to-door outreach in an effort to get to know the citizens and also encourage them to report air pollution. So outreach coupled with plain language and plain Spanish, you know, plain uh, English and plain mm-hmm. uh, Spanish. In some areas uh, in Houston and Dallas and other areas throughout the country, there's a large Vietnamese populations uh, growing. And so these agencies, they have to use tech principles like plain language, but they also have to, you know, consider the distrust and mm-hmm. attempt to get to know the citizens. And I think that's very important. And that's what I've, I've seen in recent cases. And you know my, I don't know if you know this, but most of my research relates to government work. And so that's what I'm seeing. And if you look at the, the edited collection, you'll see that matters related to trust are often there, whether mm-hmm. the, the author states it explicitly or, or not. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the big issues is sort of bridging this gulf of trust between whoever's producing the communication and some of the particular audiences who are receiving the communication. And obviously, usually someone who's producing the communication is in some position of power. You know, you mentioned the example from Texas and the more recent examples from the air control. But it sounds like this more recent example is a bit more of a success story with the kind of (laughs) maybe yeah a step in the right direction. step in the right direction. That particular case was interesting because some of the actual regulators or they're, they're scientists who, you mm-hmm. know, know uh, they, they go out and inspect facilities. Some of them were actually from the areas, you mm-hmm. know, they grew up in, in the, the, the end. So those, they, they knew more about the history of, of the neighborhood and they were able to communicate more easily, even whether it's in English or Spanish mm-hmm. with the citizens. And so that may be part of the success. The agency had a diverse, you know, employee organization as it relates to the actual workers. Mm-hmm. It's a great argument for increasing the diversity of whoever your body of technical communicators is because it allows them to then reach a larger segment of the population effectively. And that sort of brings up the next element of your book, which was, you know, so there's the way that race and ethnicity affect the audience that's receiving the documents. There's an element of the race and ethnicity of the technical communicator themselves um, that comes up in the book. And one of the things you say is that the technical communicator's identity as a person of color or not informs their rhetorical moves and whether these moves are effective. Can you give any examples of this dynamic at play? One example that I thought was very interesting was uh, Dr. Teresa Coleman's uh, discussion. She worked as an institutional researcher at a historically black college. Mm-hmm. Institutional researchers are those folks who collect the data and, and send it off to the accreditation agencies. What we found is that many of the colleges, these historically black colleges, were founded right after slavery and have continued to have strong ties to religious organizations that initially funded them. Mm-hmm. Beyond her being an institutional researcher familiar with SPSA, and the requirements for accreditation, the person had to know a bit about the appropriate use of language as it relates to history and religion. And uh, she told me a story about how, and I don't think she put this in the chapter, but she actually had to, uh, she found herself having to learn the Negro uh, National Anthem. And so she had to become culturally competent. Sure. Uh, the data, of course, the data needed to be correct and she needed to write clearly, but the audiences included uh, religious institutions that she had never interacted with. She was you know, not a particularly religious person. Right. But she, so she had to learn this language and she had to learn this history and uh, uh, the cadence. You know, there's a, a different rhetorical styles that were expected for the different audience. I think that's a, a good example of um, how this the identity of the writer uh, who 
viewed herself as a statistician, you know, had to uh, evolve a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's a great example. And it seems like the theme that's really running through is sort of learning the culture and understanding the culture that you're communicating to, which, of course, is a, a dominant theme throughout technical communication. Right. And again, raises the question of why it took so long to come around to some of these issues. But it is a really a natural fit, you know, for people who are researching and practicing within technical communication. Do you have sort of any parting advice or thoughts for where the field or the discipline can go next? Well, I just think we need to continue to uh, address audiences that we have not discussed before. And, you know, I'm excited about it. You know, for years, I mean, uh, if you look at some of Emily Thrush's work and Carolyn Rood, both of them mentioned, you know, the the fact that we hadn't done work in Mm -hmm. this area. Mm-hmm. And so I think those of us who are currently addressing race and ethnicity need to, in our work, acknowledge other areas that have not been addressed. And with that, uh, I think uh, future technical communication scholars will, you know, address issues that we hadn't thought about. I don't want to judge, you know, uh, other scholars harshly because they hadn't touched this area. I think we research areas that are of interest to us. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just excited that we're we're doing a lot of work in that area right now. Terrific. We'll keep up the good work and congratulations again on the collection. Okay, and thanks uh, Thanks for talking to me. Uh, hey, no problem. I really <laughs> enjoyed it and I appreciate it. All right, have a good one. All right, thanks, Miriam. Bye.